This is the Good Things Guy podcast with myself, Brendan DeCube, South Africa's very own Good Things Guy. I'm on a mission to change what the world pays attention to. I truly believe that there's good news all around us, and I spend my time hunting down and reporting on the best good news stories from South Africa and the world. In the Good Things Guy podcast, you'll meet these everyday heroes and hear their incredible stories. Woman Empowered really started when Alison Boerter got up and decided to live in December 1994. But the idea was born in 2000 when Mark Krobelar wrote his own thesis. It became a full-time concern in 2012. WIP, as it's now known, is an extremely simple, easy-to-learn, yet devastatingly effective self-empowerment system that has been designed specifically for women and now for men as well, to give them the ability to make a choice in a life-threatening situation. Mark has joined me in studio today to chat about Women Empowered. I've been on the course, so I know what it's all about. Do we call it a course, Mark? Yeah, a course or a program. A program. Yeah, I sort of mutated a bit. Program. Program. Well, it's great to have you in the the Good Things Guy studio. Thank you, Ren. It's been a while since I last saw you. It has. But the work that you do is just absolutely incredible. And to give my listeners an idea, like we'll get into what WIP is now. But in your intro, in your bio, you speak yeah. about Alison Boerter and the fact that the idea came to life and was created when she decided to live in that December 1994. What was her story for our listeners that might not know? So I met Alison in London probably 26, 27 years ago, about two, three years before the attack. Um, came back to South Africa. She was dating someone that lived in my digs in London. Just knew her name was Alison and she was from PE. Came back to South Africa, lost contact with her. Was sitting in a doctor's rooms one day, pulled out a U magazine and read about what happened to the U magazine. There was a black and white photograph of her walking out of court, and I recognised her straight away. And um, I realised that I had to find her. She was in Joburg doing a talk, and I tracked her down. And we spoke at length about what had happened. I don't know if you've ever heard her speak or. or I have, and she is just one of the most phenomenal women. Um, for our listeners, Alison Boerter in, in 1994, she, and you, you can correct me yeah. if I'm wrong, I might get the yeah. story not 100%, but she was climbing into her car. Well, she, she was in her car. She'd just come home from her mother's. She had washing on the passenger seat, so she was pretty much reaching onto the passenger seat to take the washing to get out. She was outside her home, parked in the street. And next minute, the door opened, and a guy put an knife in her throat and said, move over, or I'll kill you. So um, she jokingly, she moved over she, into the passenger seat. She laughs about it now. She actually helped him start the car because she said the, the ignition was a bit gammy and you know, would never, he would never have done it himself. So she helped him start the car. They then drove into town where they picked up a friend of his. They then drove to the beach where they both proceeded to rape her. After raping her, one of the guys jumped on top of her and throttled her, basically squeezed her windpipe, up, uh, windpipe shut. She passed out. She woke up when they slit her throat 16 times. They stabbed her about 50 times in the lower abdomen. They left her to die. And she tells me she lay down in the sand and she wrote in the sand, I love you, mom. And she said she put like a little little box around it. And then she laughed. She says, well, I'm a bit of a neatness freak. So she had to like, and then she lay down to die. And she said she lay there for a bit and then she realized she didn't really want to die. So she, she got up, she picked her entrails out of the sand. They'd stabbed her so many times that the muscle wall had disintegrated. She picked her entrails out of the sand and she started crawling on her hands and knees towards the road, which was about 300 meters away. I had lunch with her a little while ago and she was joking with me. She says, do you know how difficult it is to crawl on just, you know, with the insides in your hands on your knees with just one hand? It's very difficult because like if there were two hands, it would be easier. But I mean, I looked at her. So she, while she's not crawling, she says she keeps playing with the idea whether she wants to live or whether she wants to die. And she keeps passing out. And then she realizes at some stage that she's not going to get there if she crawls that she'd have to get up and, and walk. 
And when she stood up to walk with her insides in her hands, her head fell down between her shoulder blades. It's because they cut through the muscles on the side of her neck. So she literally, she said while she was walking, she kept seeing the stars and she couldn't work out why. It's because her head was sort of flopped down. She had literally had to pull her head on with her hair, with her entrails in her hands. And she made her way to the road and she's alive and she's well. And as you said, she's one phenomenal human being. And I, and I say this often, the, the course of my life changed that night. I didn't know it at the time. Well, when, when you saw that picture of her in the U, that's, yeah. that's when it all... Yeah, so, but yeah, there was probably, I think there was probably about four or five, maybe even, I don't know... After the attack, it might have been about three or four years after the attack when she was obviously healed. And, but I always say my life changed that night, as you mentioned earlier, when she basically decided to live. So this has happened to your friend. And I know of the story and, and you re-explaining it. It's made me really sad. Like it's, yeah. it's a really sad thing. But that inspired you to create something so that other women, and now men as yeah. well, wouldn't find themselves in the same situation ever again. Exactly. But you know, also Brent, something that, um, that I mention often as well, and it's something that still rocks me to the core, is when you speak to Alison, she says she'd still go through that to be where she is today. And I think that's, and I often say to you, you know, because of that, obviously I'm doing what I'm doing at the moment. And so when, when we reconnected um, after all that time and I spoke to her, uh, I realized that she'd made some mistakes. She'd made some mistakes that most people would make because she just didn't know any better. And uh, about that time, when we reconnected, I was due to grade for my fifth day, and I now hold a sixth day in karate. And part of a prerequisite for grading to that level is you need to write a thesis. I wrote my thesis, and it's funny enough, I saw on the Wednesday night, the Saturday I was grading in Durban. I hadn't even put an ink pen to paper. I had no, absolutely no clue what I was going to write about. I saw on the Wednesday and I wrote my thesis on the Thursday and Friday and, and uh, you know, I realized that again that she'd made some mistakes and I wrote my thesis on self-defense for women and, you know, and hence WIP was born, woman empowered. Then a lot of people said to me, no, you spelt it wrong because empowerment's apparently spelt with an E. But I said, I said to everybody, that's about economics, that's economic empowerment, this is about the inner strength. Interesting. So, so I've, been on, I've been on your program and I don't want to give, I mean, it doesn't care if we give anything away no, because we no, want no. people to be no, part exactly of the program. Yeah. But you speak about the mistakes she made and, and the one thing that you drilled into our heads is that you never go to the next spot. You second, ne you, the second, the second place. place yeah. You never go to the second place. Yeah. You, if, you, if you have a way to get away immediately at that first place, you do whatever you can. 100%. Well, I suppose everybody, you know, I, wonder, I mean, you will remember from the course, I often say to people, if a guy puts a gun against your head and says, come with me here, are you going to come? And most people say yes, because they're thinking if I don't do what he wants, he's going to hurt me, he's going to shoot me. But the reality is, if he's prepared, and the key word for me is prepared, if I'm prepared to hurt you at the first place, and you go with me to the second place, I'm going to hurt you. And probably even worse. So things are going to get worse. Your chances of survival at the first place are really high. When you go to the second place, they start getting sort of less than 35%. Third place where Alison went, almost nothing. But just knowing a little bit, a simple piece of information like that would have changed Alison's whole story. Because had she known that, she said to me, she would never have gotten a car. But she didn't know that. Again, I know about the program. Yeah. So, But you talk about your karate, your sixth dan. Are you going to teach the, the people that come into your program how to be karate superstars? Ninjas. Are you going to make them ninjas? Nah, nah. You see, it's... I actually wrote a column the other day called Self-Defense Course, Fact or Myth. I started off the column by saying, um, I said to a group of ladies in a recent program that self-defense courses were like pink elephants 
or unicorns. They didn't really exist. They were only in movies and books. And the one lady at the front got quite upset with me, and she said, but unicorns do exist. And I conceded that unicorns might exist, although I'd never seen one, but self-defense courses really didn't. Because the reality is you cannot teach someone to defend themselves in a course. If you want to learn to defend yourself, which is reactive, in other words, when a guy does this, you do that, and so on, take up a martial art, and there's millions of them out there, and a lot of them have got their pros and cons, and I don't want to get into that discussion, but if you want to learn to defend yourself, invest two to three hours a day for the rest of your life, and maybe, maybe at some stage you can learn to defend yourself. But we're talking about rather average Joe, average Sue, does it mean if you're not prepared to go that route and become a frisk Chris Fricky, as I call them? A frisk uh, Chris, Chris Fricky. And I say they generally have tattoos and no hair. So, <laughs> so they look like you. Yeah, something like me. Yeah. <laughs> so, if you, you know, unless you, not everybody wants to be a frisk Chris Fricky, but does that mean you have to know nothing? So I suppose Whip was conceived out of, out of what happened to Alison because after I sent her a copy of my thesis, she phoned me in tears and said, Mark, you know, if I'd done what you said I should have done, what happened to me would never have happened. So that's when the proverbial ball started rolling. But it's about just giving somebody the ability to make a choice. I mean, you remember from the course we speak about choice. In a life or death situation, there's only three things you can do, fight, flight, or freeze. Obviously, the first option is always to flight, to leave. But if you fight and you're not a trained combatant, whatever you do, you need to switch him off. Otherwise, it's going to make him mad. You're going to make him more angry. Yeah, it's, like, it's exactly what you taught us. And an angry man that wants to hurt you will hurt you. Then exactly. it becomes, exactly. then it becomes a, exactly. a bigger problem. Yeah. You've just exacerbated the situation. You've made it worse. But maybe if you, maybe if you knew something, just something. Maybe it could change an outcome. It's, you know, when there's no guarantees, but there's so many of these frisk Chris Frickies out there that I tell you that are teaching people, they, they basically pull them into a room and they. Well, it's those yeah. things that you see in the movies yeah, where if go. he does this, then you've got to put your arm around and yeah. push the knife yeah, away yeah, and it's jump all on him. Very, very impressive when and very he does technical. it. Very technical. Very technical. And the reality is, unless you're practicing every day, it's a waste of time. Absolute waste of time. But what they do is they fill the courses with content. So almost to justify their existence, the people walk away thinking they know something, but they actually know nothing. So I've been on your program. That's the fourth time I've said it. Um, and it was a couple of years ago. And throughout the course of the program, it lasted a couple of hours in a day. But first and foremost, you taught us all these little techniques about uh, not going to the next place, yeah. getting away, your, your flights, all of these things. And then at the end of the day, you made us realize that there's strength within ourselves. And we, you gave us a certain move that we could do something. That was all fair and well. And I loved it. And I felt very powerful afterwards. And all of us in the in the class broke boards and we did all sorts of things and we all walked away feeling that we were a little bit safer um, not knowing if it's actually real and and i'm saying this because you know you're telling me that self-defense you you never know if it's never know if it's real or not and then a couple of years later a couple of years ago maybe like two years ago i think at the time she wasn't miss universe yet but all the miss south africa's went on your course right Correct. yeah two years ago um we donated a course to the 12 miss africa finalists and this previous year as well. So our current Miss South Africa has also been through the program. The pro- you put yeah. them through the program and they walk away going, now I feel power empowered and I've got the skill, but is it real? We don't know. And then Miss South Africa found herself in a position where they were trying to hijack her? Yeah, she was um, D- D- Demi, Demi Lee. She, yeah. um, I think about two or three weeks after she was crowned Miss South Africa, she was on her way to a function. Seven o'clock in the evening, she says she stopped at the robots here in Hyde Park Corner. Stops at the robots, and obviously there's cars all around her. She says she looked up and saw a guy on the side of the road looking at her. She said, Mark, you're looking like right in my eyes. 
And she also said she, she probably wouldn't have been that aware had she not, you know, she was looking at the world a little bit different. She saw this guy and she said, if there's one, there's more. And she looked and there were two more on the other side of the road. And she said, they started walking right towards her in the car. She said, for whatever reason, she knew they were coming to her. Not her, Miss Southern, because she was in an unmarked car, but, but her. She said, um, when they got close, she took the seatbelt off, switched the car off, pulled a handbrake off, she got out the car. Because she said, Mark, I just heard your voice in my head saying, don't go to the second place. The point you raised earlier, don't go to the second place, don't go to the second place. They tried to push her back into the car. She did the one thing that we, we, we teach her, and she couldn't use it properly. She, she was lying halfway across the front seat holding the – but she knew she, that one technique. She did that. He fell down. She ran away, and she's alive. And I say, you know, I often say – I mean, I, I was at a course this morning before I came, and I said to the group, what do you think would have happened – to Miss South Africa back then if three men with guns had got in the car and driven away with her. Well, if, they, if they knew that she was Miss South Africa. Even more just, so, yeah. yeah. But I mean, just they clearly weren't there for the car because yeah. when she got out and ran away, they didn't get in and drive off. They left her handbag herself and they, whatever their modus operandi probably was on the evening, we want a woman in a car. Let's get in the car, drive away with her. And you know, when you go to the second place, you can just imagine what could have happened. Did you see her after that? Yes. Um, we were very fortunate. Um, after this happened, uh, when I heard about the story, I um, was it a press thing? It was real, right? Yeah, it was proper real. If you if you'd seen her afterwards, you could see she was she was visibly shaken. Um, it was uh, this happened, you know. It, um, I just, I, it's just mind blowing, and it's it's and I, I say it um, from the bottom of my heart. Is is you do you walk out of this course feeling empowered, not yeah. knowing if it's real, and to hear a story with someone who's got such a high profile yeah. that it is real, and she and was able to get 100%. away. When I heard the story, the first thing I wanted to do was um, was to get hold of her and find out. What, like what had happened and had the, the program helped her. But before I could get hold of her, she actually got hold of me and there were radio interviews and all sorts of things. And it was, it was a very surreal experience to have someone like in that public profile go on record to say this, this did it for me. And still to this day, I, um, I use her story in every one of my, in every one of my courses. What's really cool then, obviously then one on, she went on to Intimus Universe and I remember sitting with my colleague thinking, imagine if she wins this. She obviously went on to win this. We were fortunate enough to partner with her, uh, as part of her entry, Intimus Universe. She had a campaign called Unbreakable and uh, all the entrants have to have some sort of, CSI, yeah, that type of, of thing. Yeah. yeah. So we were fortunate enough to partner with her on her Unbreakable campaign as part of her entry into, into Miss Universe. And obviously, when she, she went, I didn't actually watch it that night. I fell asleep. So the next morning, my mates are phoning me, and as part of, they then show like a little video when she won. They then show a little video of this thing, and I've got mates from all over the world phoning me and saying. How did you end up on the on the world stage? There's a little video with Ms. and who's in the left in the back? There's Mark. No, it, it was surreal and and uh, like a really godsend. Um, uh, well, the right day. time for you, right place so that, at the right time, so that yeah. more people can know about the program. And, and know, it was really you know. cool to be able to work with her. And then we uh, were fortunate enough to spend some time with her just before she handed her crown over. At the end of last year, I spent uh, ten days with her on the on the east coast and of the states, and we went around to. Uh, couple of places pageant hopefuls shelters we chatted to uh, homeless kids and stuff which was was really cool That's again amazing. sometimes i have to actually take a step back and pinch myself like how did this well, happen i think from from your reality and and the reason why 
Miss Universe and, and her story matters so much is because you have hundreds of people, hundreds of women, hundreds of men that are coming through your program you know where weekly. We are, you know where we are at the moment in terms of numbers? Tell me the number. 5,600-odd, including the guys we're probably close to 6,000. But I think what's beautiful about that is there's 6,000 people that know how to get out of that situation. And Well, they have an option, yeah. And no, I mean, that's what I say to Alison whenever I see her. You know, 6,000, because of you got up and decided to live, 6,000 people have an well, option. Well, yeah, this, is, this is where I was going, yeah. and you're stealing, yeah. you're stealing, stealing my gadum, gadumia. But um, you have 6,000 people that have come through this program, and you don't know their stories afterwards. They, not many after, if this had to happen to them, would pick up the phone and be able to get hold of you. But because of her profile, she was able to, and you guys did all these radio interviews. When you tell Alison a story like that, or have you told her? Yes, yeah. I mean, off, I did a course recently where one of the girls actually wrote something on the board to Alison. Um, I'll actually scratch that photograph out and send you. It said something about, thank you, Alison, because of you. And then I sent that to Alison, and she was she was hugely moved. I've been fortunate enough to share the stage with Ellie a couple of times over the last couple of years. We've done a couple of like joint talks and stuff. But it's it's really the first time I'd actually sh- shared the stage with her. So what I do at the beginning of my program is I tell, I tell her story, and then I go into But for her to now tell her story in front of me before I went on and told my story, I just sat there with tears. Because it was, it made it very, very personal. Because she was, I couldn't look at her. I had to keep. Because every now and again, she'd look across at me, and I, I knew. I, and when I was talking, I knew that I couldn't look at her in the seat because I just, I just, I'd sort of. Uh, well, what, I uh, mean, we can go back to yeah. it. What, what she went through and the tragedy that she went through inspired you to start something that is changing lives. And at first, it was focused on women, and you were worried about women in South Africa yeah. and the crime rate 100%. and what's going on. But that's now moved on to men, and you and you, you've taken whip and called the grip. Yeah. So obviously, the initial thing was because of what happened to Alison, because uh, the rape stats, and 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 we, and we we for a good couple of years, whip was the thing. Women empowered. The program I went on, I was the only guy. Yeah. So I was working for an agency at the time, and, and you came into the agency and, and offered it to all the girls. And because I wrote for Good Things Guy, you were like, come on in, you yeah. can join. And I, I joined it, and it was fantastic. But then, yeah. sorry, I So I mean, back then, so you, uh, I made you break a, a whip board back then, for the, just for the listeners. I have a grip board in the studio with me. At and the I moment. will be breaking it off. Um, but um, a couple of years ago, we... I was chatting to somebody and a name of a of a school came up and I said, we'd love to come and chat to you. We do a lot of work, but most of our work was with corporates and schools. Um, we'd love to come and, and, and chat to you about doing something for your girls. And uh, the school contacted me and, and said, listen, we've got a break in this week with our grade 10s. And then I thought about it and I realized, you know, there's guys in that whole mix there. So I, I sat with my colleague and, I, and we spoke about it and we realized, you know, there's this perception that because you and I are men that we – I was born with a certain skill set. Do you know how to fight? Yeah, sure, I'm a guy. I mean, as I always joke on, on my courses, like we think we, we, we're born with a fighting app and the directions app. You know, they come with the, they come with the gender. <laughs> Don't need directions, know how to fight, I'm sorted. But it take would, a bunch of guys away from women and put them by themselves and say, do you really know? What to do? No, and the answer is no. no. I'll, I'll be, I'll be open and honest and say no. Mm-hmm. And I want to laugh because you, you, you've, placed it perfectly never mind the fighting but the direction thing is a real problem <laughs> it like it's a, a real problem four hours later we arrive and we say see i told you i knew where we were going um and a big thing for me was around as you know what what we teach is potentially lethal 
And our species, let's be honest, and because us and women, we are a different species, uh, Brent. But um, we are not the most responsible. Yeah, there we go. We are not the most responsible species. Yeah. So what we teach is potentially lethal. So, and that was my my reluctance in the beginning, but then I realized that you know guys need this as much as, as and it's a slightly different approach because every guy thinks that he can and every woman thinks that she can't and they're both wrong. So and I love telling the story. The first co-ed course that we did at the school. So it was about 180 grade tens. And I had my colleague there, and we, we went through the sort of the theory part. And then when we get on to the practical, the guys went off with my, with my colleague, and I uh, went off with the, with the young ladies. And we came back into the auditorium, 100 and, nearly 180 grade 10s. So I've got all the girls sitting with their, with their whip boards here, and all the boys sitting with their grip boards over there. And all the girls come down, and they break their boards, and they all go back. And then I look at these 90 guys, and I say, okay, Oaks, who's first? They're all looking at the ceiling and looking away. Not one guy get up and said, me, sir, me, sir. Because they're nervous that they're not going to be able to do it. That's it. it. And they just watched so many girls do it. Exactly. And I said to him, you know what, guys, you've just proved my point. Because if you knew that you could do this, you'd be up. Yeah. But you don't know. Yeah. And you're thinking, if I don't get up, if I get up and I don't do it, after 90 girls have done it, I might as well choose another school. And I said, you've just proved my point. Because it's about knowing that you can do something. Not about thinking. It's about knowing what you're capable of. Um, and that's what makes the, you know, the breaking of the boards such a relevant well, activity. So the, the, the breaking of the boards is the final piece of the day. And it's the final piece of the program. But the breaking of the board has actually got nothing to do with anything. Uh, right. The actual program is all the lessons that you share along the way. And I can say that I believe that I may have done the program with you three years ago. And every, maybe not as, as sharp as a pencil as they should be, but every point is still there and, and I carry them with me. And if I ever find myself, God, God willing that I don't, but if I ever find myself in that position, I I hope that I'll remember just a few of the things. So that um, it gives me such a, such a wonderful feeling because again, because you know, I didn't set out, I suppose when I said I didn't quite know what I was setting out to achieve, I, th- I suppose I was going to set out to show people that they could do this, that they could break a board. Because, but it's ended up being so much bigger than that. It's the stories, Brent, that I've that I've got. I mean, as you know, I ask ask guys to guys and girls to write stuff on their boards, like what are you facing in your life? What are your barriers? What do you what do you want to overcome? Write that on the board because. Like the board is a physical barrier, and one of the things we speak about, you have to go to the focus point. And we're like, where's your focus point in your life? If you concentrate on the barriers in your life and forget about where you want to go, you're never going to get there. And the same applies to that board. While if you think about the board as a barrier and forget about where you want to go, you're never going to go through the thing. And the the amount of life-changing stories that I've had, I mean, the one that I always loves telling it still gives me punerflase. Is a couple of years ago in Durban, a young girl brought me a board, and she'd written on her board in big letters across it, infertility. And I looked at her, and she started crying, and I joke, I think something flew into my eye that that time. But I said to her, not now, tell me later. So she broke the board, and we went home, and four weeks later, I got an email from her. Dear Mark, not only did I break the board, but I've kicked infertility in the butt. I'm four weeks pregnant. That's amazing. Like I said, I'm not ready to write uh, fertility specialists on my business cards yet, but who knows? Uh, this thing that we've got between our ears is the strongest thing we have. And He's talking change, about his brain. Yeah, that thing, yeah. And if you, and if you don't, you know, if you tell yourself that enough times you can't do something, you probably won't. Yeah. But what about the, just flip that whole thing around? And it's humbling, incredibly humbling. So it is, it is Women's Month, and um, obviously 
ultimately you want to teach everybody the program yeah. so that they know what they're doing. But if you can leave our female listeners right now with something that they can, I don't know, take away with them. For me, the three don'ts, the first three don'ts, as you know, we've got five do's and five don'ts. But for me, the first three don'ts, the first one is um, don't go to the second place. I think it's a really, really big one. The second one is do not underestimate or trust anybody. Trust needs to be earned, and that's a whole discussion for another day. And the third one, which I think is probably even more important for me, is do not ignore your sixth sense. We have this wonderful voice that's built in. and it's in our tummies. And ladies, yours, unfortunately, is better than ours. But where you come short, unfortunately, is when you feel it, you tend to ignore it because society has said that you overreact, that you're making a scene out of nothing, that you're going to embarrass yourself. When you feel that noise, when you feel that thing in your tummy, something is wrong. When something feels wrong, it is wrong. Get out of there. Understand these three things you can do, fight, flight, or freeze. When something feels wrong, it is wrong. Leave. If you can't leave, you need to make a decision. What am I going to do? Am I going to do nothing or am I going to mobilize him? If you want to learn to immobilize him, give us a shot. If that is ever a sales pitch, if I've ever heard it. Um, Mark, it has been great having you in studio. Great. I love chatting to you. And you're such a, a passionate person. And what I love most about what you do and what you're doing is it really isn't about the money. and the, it's, it's about changing people so that they, they have better skills to look after themselves. Exactly. We live in a tough society. And this is the Good Things Guy show, so I don't want to focus on the negatives. But the positive here is that you're giving people the choice and the power to make the decision and I think that is beautiful if people want to find you if they do want to book you or if they just want to chat to you where do they go on all social media platforms so woman w-o-m-a-n empowered i-n-p-o-w-e-r-e-d so that's facebook twitter our website is www.wip so w-r-p womanempowered.org.za or yeah, just uh, search for Ellison's story, or yeah, we all have is on all social media platforms. Woman empowered. Yeah, I think it's important what you're doing, and I thank you for taking the time today to share that with us. Brent, you're a star. Thank you very much. Thank you. Wishing you only good things. I'm Brent Lindeke, South Africa's very own Good Things Guy, and you've been listening to Good Things Guy, a Jackpot podcast. For more episodes or to subscribe, rate, or review my podcast, go to iTunes, Iona FM, or Google Podcasts. Be kinder than necessary to yourself and each other. Thanks, and only good things.